Welcome to the Mindful Creative Podcast and thank you all so, so much for listening to this show. It really means a lot. I have one huge and simple favor to ask you before we get into today's episode and that is if you're enjoying the show, please, please like, follow and subscribe to it on whatever platform you listen to it on. It massively helps me to grow the reach of this podcast and it hugely drives the growth of this show, bringing you even more amazing guests, great stories and ultimately more and more value. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Enjoy the show and have an epic day. So welcome back to the show, everyone. Joining me on the podcast today is a property investor who, after working multiple different jobs after uni, managed to retire herself from needing to work a traditional job by the age of 28, which is incredible. Rosie Charles, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to it. Definitely. So look, let's talk about life before property, because, you know, you went down the traditional route. You were at uni. You, uh, I'm assuming, did a traditional degree, which I'm going to ask you to go into in just a second. And then you worked multiple jobs. Let's talk about that whole period of your life. What happened? Uh, what were you doing? So I, I studied psychology at university and didn't really know what I wanted to do in life. And I thought I enjoyed psychology at school. So why not carry it on to university? It was a bit cheaper back then to do. I'm 30 now, but it wasn't the £9,000 degrees, it was the £3,000 degrees, so I yeah. thought, let's, let's just go to university, like many of us did back then, yeah. um, and after getting getting out of university, I was quickly offered a job by a, uh, a hospice in fundraising, um, I'd been doing some volunteering for them in the fundraising department, and I had just lined myself up, up a job to do some cleaning at the university until I figured out where I was going next. Amazing. Yeah. And the hospice jumped on that opportunity and asked me to come and work for them. So that was my first job out of university, which was such a good experience, fundraising and marketing for a local charity, uh, getting stuck in with all sorts of events, thrown completely out of my comfort zone because I was always a little bit shy um, and I was having to go and ask people for money, ask volunteers to come and help with these events, asking lots of favours of people which for me at the time was very scary. Um, so that that was a really good first job for me. So was that, just to clarify, was that like uh, on the street fundraising or was that over the phone or was it combination? That, that was, so I was, I was office based and, yeah. and it was a community fundraiser role. So I was um, basically events fundraising. So lots of people would come and do our sponsored walks, our cycle rides. Mm. Um, I did a little bit of, I, I wore a mascot suit once. <laughs> on the street with a, because we couldn't find a volunteer to do it um so I, I did get stuck in with a few few a few times on that but um tried to avoid the supermarket collections as much as I could love it carry yeah. on <laughs> so after that I I did um some repping abroad I, I wanted to do something abroad but I was too stingy with my money to just go and do traveling um, like lots of people do at that age so I, I earned my money and went off and repped in Crete for TUI um, at the time it was Thompson yeah which again was was great experience to go off and do something completely different and um, gain some more independence by living elsewhere and not knowing anyone so that was that was a good experience as well after that, I came back and joined a grad scheme and got a proper job, shall we say, for TK Maxx on their okay. merchandising and buying graduate scheme, um, which, again, 
was was a great opportunity yeah. I was dealing with um lots of different buyers and um different levels in the in the organization uh so that that taught me a lot and we had to do a lot of presentations and things like that so um really good experience but then I got engaged and needed to find somewhere to live with my husband-to-be so I moved I moved back from where I was in Watford back to Kent um, and joined another charity I really enjoyed my charity work previously so I went and worked in something completely different in HR and recruitment for a local charity in in Kent again and at that point was when we found property myself and my husband found property and started doing that alongside the day jobs wow okay that is I mean, what's interesting is that you did a degree in psychology, but then never really felt the need to go and work as a psychologist, as a therapist or anything. In So I think there's a crazy statistic for how many people in psychology actually end up in HR. Um, So there there is a link there, absolutely Mm -hmm. dealing with people and workplace psychology in in that way. Um, So I did did do a bit that was linked back to my psychology in some way, shape or form, but not your classic psychologist. Yeah, and and amazing to go back into a grad scheme at TK Maxx to do merchandising and buying, which is obviously completely uh, left field. Uh, But it sounds like you had an insane amount of experience through all the different roles that you did, which traditionally most people wouldn't get if they stuck to maybe just one uh, path, a a more traditional path, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Doing lots of different things gave me lots of experience, took me to a different country um, and a different place in the UK as well, um, and really built built me as a person, uh, I think. So yeah, really key to my journey, as they call it, which I hate that word, but (laughs) my journey. (laughs) yeah this is this is where you establish that you are on the journey and it's just starting (laughs) Um, okay so you um got engaged you moved back to Kent and you started looking at uh opportunities outside of traditional work what sparked the need to look for something else to do so to be honest uh, we weren't really looking um something popped up on a Facebook ad for a property training seminar two hours training seminar that we thought oh that looks interesting and we almost didn't go um I think Alan my husband was late from work and it was all a bit rushed and it was of an evening after the nine to five so we almost didn't go but I think one of us just went, come on, let's just do it and it might be interesting. And I'd always seen my um, my parents have a couple of student properties where I live in Canterbury. Okay. And I've always seen that property is such a good vehicle for wealth. Um, they have earned more money probably that in, in property than they have in their day jobs throughout their lives. So I could quickly see that it was a, it was a good route. So we thought, let's go to this seminar, see if we can pick any tips up on how to get started. And that was the kind of start of the property journey. So then did you do any work with the seminar company and what they were selling in terms of their property courses? Or did you guys just go off and do it by yourself? Like what was the journey? We got sold the dream. (laughs) (laughs) We we are not, as I say, quite stingy with money. We really are not the sorts of people to be spontaneous with that sort of thing. But we did. We ended up signing up to their three-day course and then after that, uh, further training. And that's certainly not the only way to get into property. But at the time, 
having not known anything and we've had very little money to get started we just got married we just bought our first home not a great investment but that might be a story for another day <laughs> um, so we, we we didn't have a lot of funds I think sort of 10 15 thousand pounds in the bank that's not a lot of money to get started in property where the barriers to entry it's it's costings um to put that deposit down if if a refurb's needed you need to put that money down um for that and all the fees that come with it so it's not a cheap business to get started in fair enough so was the reason that you chose property over other investment opportunities like stocks and shares or crypto i mean there's so many other things that are going on at the moment was it primarily because you saw what your parents had done Um, yeah Absolutely. Yeah. So my parents, they built, they um, they bought a derelict farmhouse about 30 years ago and did it up over over sort of 20 years. And it's this incredible home now. They've still got it. That's my family home. And the money they've made on that enabled them to buy a couple of these student properties. Um, HMOs has multiple occupancy in, in, in Canterbury. Um, so it, it was a no-brainer. It just seemed like a really good option and a passive option which is the key thing with property um all these businesses that you can start fantastic but you still have to work to get the money and eventually you might be able to replace yourself but with property you do the work at the start and then you get paid for life if you rent that property out yes of course there's going to be some maintenance maintenance issues and things you, you have to deal with throughout throughout the lifetime of property but ultimately you're getting paid every month but doing relatively little. I I love the sound of that. <laughs> so what was the first property that you guys ever did? How did that even come about? How did you find it? What was the uh, the way that you kind of convinced yourselves this is the one? So we spent, after we finished our training courses and learned all about how to buy property, um, using other people's money that was a key thing as well as I said we had very little money to start with Mm -hmm. so we 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 knew we couldn't get very far with 15,000 which is why we need needed the training to tell us how to do it safely with other people's money um so that first property took us nine months to find and looking back that doesn't sound like a long time but at the time it was it felt like a very long time (laughs) um we told everyone what we were doing um rightly or wrongly everyone knew that we were property investors now and we were going to go and buy properties for a living. So um, nine months felt painful. Yeah. Uh, we had one fall through before that um, and having to tell people that we still hadn't bought a property was was a bit embarrassing, to be honest. Um, so at nine months, we found this this deal that needed lots of work doing to it. I We'd actually viewed this property six months earlier and they hadn't liked our offer. Okay. At the time, we were viewing, viewing sort of every three weeks, we would go up to our investment area, which is actually five hours from our home in Kent. We were investing in Liverpool because house prices are much cheaper and the rents um, are not all that different to down down here. So the return on investment is far better. Um, so we were, we were traveling up every three weeks, viewing 10 to 15 properties a weekend and putting offers on as many as we, we could. And those offers... But more often than not, very cheeky, um, which again, to start with, was completely out of my comfort zone. I hated every minute of it. But ultimately, we knew that we had to do that if we were going to get anywhere with it. Mm. And on, I think it was Easter, it was Good Friday, 
um, that year I had a phone call from the vendor. We'd met the vendor himself at the property. He did the viewing and he said, look, my mum's not very well. She's the one who's been living in the house. We really need to sell. Are you still willing to, to offer what you offered before? And I absolutely was. So we, we, that was our first property deal. And it, it could have been a better deal. It wasn't awful looking back. I think we ended up getting about a 20, 25% return investment in today's market. That's fantastic. Yeah. Five years ago, when we started out in 2017, we were, we were sort of wanting 50% return investment because we worked so hard for those nine months to find a deal. We didn't have any money to leave in the deal. Um, so we needed, we needed as much, much out of that as possible. And when I say money in the deal, what I'm talking about is at our model is we buy a property, we re refurbish it early on. The first day we buy it, we try and get builders in, mm -hmm. refurb it. At the six month point, we are pulling out as much money as possible at refinance. And right. whatever is left in, whatever money we haven't managed to pull out at refinance is, is what's left in the deal. Um, and that's what we calculate our return on investment in buy. Amazing. So that first deal so first of all well done on the persistence to carry on for nine months did you find telling other people about it gave you guys accountability or like additional pressure to get it done I don't think I'd be sitting in front of you now if if I hadn't told everyone what we were doing um it absolutely kept us accountable I could we couldn't fail because just to save face if nothing else <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome um and one of the other things that you mentioned was getting into property uh because you know you guys are working, but you just got married, you just bought your own home, so savings took a bit of a hit, which I fully uh, uh, sympathise with because myself and my wife went through the same thing. Uh, yeah. So you know, did that first property come with investor money, or did that come through uh, your own savings that you built up again over time over those nine months? So we had intended to buy it with our own money. Um, and using a mortgage so while it needed work it was a £76,000 property it wasn't expensive um, mm. and we had 15000 which was nearly enough for a deposit yeah. so we didn't need, need too much more we, we'd save, saved a bit more over those nine months as you said um, went to get a mortgage they came out to value it and said nope not worth anything um, it's not got any central heating zero value and at that point we we were well it, it nearly broke me because I worked so hard for the last nine months and I finally got this wonderful deal and it was about to be taken away from me so at that point um we spoke to spoke to friends and family and they were willing to fund it for us because they'd seen because we told them from the beginning what we were doing and we'd got to that nine month point it must be a good deal they'd been working so hard and they finally got this deal so we were able to offer them a good return on their investment and we used investor finance, private investor finance from the start and those investors in the form of friends and family. Really. Yeah. So I was just about to ask, was your first investors friends and family or did you go and find anyone else? But it was friends and family. So, yeah, you know, uh, telling them definitely paid off uh, in the long run. So that's awesome. Absolutely. So, OK, that was the first deal, uh, which was up in Liverpool. What's been happening from that point up until the point where you realise that you can retire? Because that's huge. I mean, retiring at 28 is incredible. And I mean, you can clarify this for me, but in my mind, when you say you're retiring at 28, it just means that you no longer had to be in the job that you were working uh, because 
I don't see you or I don't get the vibe from you that you're someone that wants to stop working entirely. Absolutely. Yeah. Retired from the day job, the nine to five that is taking me away from working on my business um, that I love, I love working on. And I wouldn't say I I certainly don't work the hours of nine to five. I try and keep it as passive as possible and delegate to other people, delegate to, I have a virtual assistant, for example. Um, But yeah, not certainly not a nine to five. So since that first property, um, we we did a couple more little bite-lets. That's what the first one was, just mm-hmm. standard two, three-bed terraced house. Um, did a few of those. And then we what we do in the business is work on our direct-to-vendor strategies. So that mm-hmm. includes sending out leaflets to houses that we, we think might look like they need a refurb, we might be able to get a good deal on. Um, We've done we've done various various direct vendor campaigns over the years, and one of those was I wrote a handwritten letter saying we'd like to buy your house, and photocopied it and sent it to three thousand houses um, in in the area. Gave it to a leaflet company, told them exactly the area we wanted them to leaflet. Off they went and sent to all these houses. Now, I thought that area was these nice little two, three bed terraced houses, mm-hmm. um, which is exactly what we wanted more of. Turns out that I, I obviously told them wrong or they went off and did their own thing. I have no idea, but I had not just leafleted two, three bed houses. I'd leafleted these wonderful, great big Victorian houses, um, blocks of flats sort of properties, um, wow. as well as the two, three bed houses. Yep. And one of these beautiful big houses came back to me and said, we've just had the um, council evict the tenants in this property because they've deemed it unsafe. Are you interested in buying it? And at the time, this was a block of four flats. You had to walk through the ground floor to get to any of the, through the ground floor flat to get to any of the other flats. So not really fit for purpose, fire safety, non-existent. Um, it, It was awful. Um, and it was quite a big jump for us, really, because we'd only done these little two, three bed terraced houses. But my husband is not one to shy away from <laughs> big deals. And he was very keen. I was not so keen, I have to say. Um, but he said, yes, we're doing it. So we did it. And because it was not on the market, we managed to get a good price on it. Um, and we actually converted that into a 12 bedroom HMO, which is a house of multiple occupancy so that's it's actually two six bedroom hmos stacked on top of each other so i think sort of like a student house like that but for professionals and so we've got that 12 bed building um that was really the thing that enabled me to leave my job because the income on that is is so good in comparison to the little bicelets that sort of give you the 300 pounds a month we're talking 1500 2000 pounds a month in the bigger yeah. HMO. So all of a sudden, once that one came along, also it was so much work to get that one over the line, the project management of it. I couldn't keep my job to do it. I was having to be up up north five hours from home on a regular basis. So it just was not feasible to keep the day job as well. So that was the catalyst for me retiring at 28. That's amazing. So, you know, it needed you to be there to manage the project and oversee it because paying someone else to do that would have probably uh, stretched the investor finance a bit too much if I'm not mistaken that's it that's it and and, and with that one it you could say that was luck 
that they went off and leafleted somewhere. I, I didn't tell them to necessarily leaflet, but we took so much action. Something I was going to get lucky at some point, and that yeah. just so happened that 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 was the luck. Um, well, <laughs> I, I think that the idea of luck is the result of taking so much action something's got to happen something's going to happen eventually right um and obviously this transpired perfectly into what was a four flat building yeah into 12 rooms yeah so you three times the occupancy rate there yeah pretty much Huge. amazing well done uh so that that's a great way to uh kind of kick off the retirement so yeah. <laughs> uh, to speak so what's been happening since then and what's the strategies what's your focus what is it that uh drives you in property now so since then one thing we've been doing alongside the the our property business if you like um is the we also do our home as a property investment um as a property investor it's very difficult to buy a property and not have it as an investment first and foremost so our, our last home that we were in um we bought from a, a the local zoo and there was four zookeepers living in there and it was an absolute hellhole when we bought it so it it's now we did it up beautifully and sold that on and we've now moved into a, a new durapa which hasn't been touched since 1976 and it's everything doing to it which is why my background is not not quite as nice as yours <laughs> the background's um, perfect so why <laughs> so so that's one thing that we're doing alongside it and it means we can buy our dream home um, and that that is one reason we wanted to get into property having a nice nice home um is i think something that a lot of people strive to to have um, and property's enabled us to to reach that we've been able to step up the ladder um, and get somewhere that we hopefully will stay for a long time um, to come. And then alongside that, um, we've also been, we've mo moved our investment area down, down to Kent. To start with, we had to be up north mm -hmm. um, because we couldn't afford to buy anything down here. But now, now we've got the investor backing, we've got the um, monthly profit from the portfolio that's building up nicely. We can afford to buy stuff down here um, in, in Canterbury, in Kent local to where we live in Canterbury um so this year we've bought a uh, a block of four flats um not far from where we live and that's all residential that's my favorite strategy at the minute title splitting so buying a, a block um that is, is currently all on one title at land registry and then splitting the legal legally splitting that title so you've now got four individual units that you can sell off or yeah. as we're doing, keeping them as little buy-to-lets. Um, and we've also bought a semi-commercial building in Canterbury, again, four units, two of which we've got a barber's, a, a little convenience store, and then two residential flats above. Um, and again, same sort of strategy, splitting that up um, and mortgaging them individually um, to, to get as much money out of them as possible. Yeah, as much rental income as a result. Exactly. So that's that's mainly your strategy. So instead of buying, refurbing and selling and making the cash lump sum, it's more around making sure you're getting consistent income coming through from rent. Exactly. That's it. Yeah. We other than our previous home, we've never we've never flipped property. We never bought and then sold um, because we've managed to kick, we've managed to 
pull as much money out as possible at remortgage. Some of those deals have been really, really lucrative. So we've been, had we had we not been um, so lucky, shall we say, <laughs> on that big 12 bed, for example, that one we pulled out most of our cash, we're able to go again. Um, if we have had to leave lots of money in those deals, then we would have had to do a, a flip um, to recoup our pot. Yeah, fair enough. So, uh, yeah, that strategy really works because essentially refinancing is like doing the flip where you're able to take out some of the cash. That's it. That's it. You're leaving. You're usually leaving 25 percent in the deal because you can't mortgage 100 percent of the property. You can mortgage 75 percent of the property when it's an investment. But that that's can still be a good amount of money that you're pulling out of the deal. Amazing. Just out of interest, between your first um, first ever deal that you did yeah. uh, with your friends and family's investment to the four bedroom, uh, sorry, for the, to the four flats that you converted into the 12 uh, bedroom HMO, how much time passed? Um, the first one, so the, it was 2017 that we, uh, it was actually 2018 because it had been nine months. Uh, 2018 was the first uh, project and then 2020 was the was the 12 bed HMO. So, so during, during COVID? During COVID, yeah. I was, so, and, and that's, I'm so glad to say that because it's exactly what I was going to come to now. Since COVID, and especially with what's happening now in the UK with interest rates, inflation, all of that stuff, and the fact that, you know, banks are pulling mortgages left, right and centre. Yeah. What's been your experience as an investor, someone who brings in outside investors to help with uh, funding projects? What's been your experience of what's happening in the market and what are you expecting going forward uh, for 2023? Good question. Don't we all want to know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 2020, it, it was tough at the time because of the uncertainty and build materials, the price of materials were, were crazy high. In, so when you're refurbing, that's a really important factor. But yeah. apart from that, it wasn't catastrophic. Um, investors they still weren't making any money. Our investors that we were offering 8% to were not getting any better in the bank. So it, it didn't really affect them. They were still going to keep keep their money in with us because they couldn't get any better. Now, of course, the interest rates have increased so much and that causes all sorts of issues um, in that getting a mortgage, we're talking just for a little buy select 5% at the minute, and yeah. um, where previously um, I've been looking at two, three percent. Um, so that that's massive on the monthly profit. And it is meaning that we're having to look at um, bigger deals. And I think people who were looking at buy to let may have to look at bigger deals in order to get that monthly income um, working for them, because some of those little buy to lets are not going to work at five percent anymore. Um, so I think it's being creative with it. You can find deals in any market um it's it's just how hard you're willing to look five years ago when we started it was brexit so many people were saying don't buy property now now's not a good time the market's about to crash doom gloom doom gloom and of course had we had we waited we would have we would have regretted it and i think that's a big thing and, that, and something i often say to people who are umming and ahhing about whether, whether to get into property not many people regret buying property People regret selling property. Everyone knows of someone who has that story of a property that they used to have in London or wherever it was that they sold in 20, 
1990 for 10 grand or something and now it's worth a million everyone's got a ridiculous story like that um so yes you do regret selling property but I don't think you ever regret buying property if you're holding for the long term the general trend is up and has been since the beginning of time yes there are some dips but overall it's going up so if you're holding for the long term yes there's a bit of a risk there, there's always risk in any in any investment you do but I think long term it'll all work out fair enough why do you uh personally prioritize cash flow over over cash in uh the deals because I'm assuming when you do bigger deals and you do flips there's probably more cash that you could make short term why do you prioritize the uh cash flow that you get even though it's less than what you might expect uh to do a flip in so for us the the goal for our property business since we started in 2017 was always to get to a point where we could replace our salaries Mm -hmm. so uh, my husband still works and will continue to work we have replaced his salary now, but he he doesn't love property like I love property. Um, he he enjoys his job and, and wants to continue. Also, we couldn't work together 100% of the time. It would be an <laughs> absolute nightmare. So um, he will stay stay in the job. But but that that's always been the key. And it's not to say we haven't been looking out for flips. Um, we we have. We've just not found anything that works for our criteria other than our homes and um, so we have done that that one residential flip and um, PPR strategy but yeah it's it's always been about replacing salaries and I think pots of cash every six months or however often is great but you're always going to be working for the next pot working for the next pot if I decide now I don't want to work for the next six months however long I've got that cash flow I don't need to it's there it's not going anywhere whereas that that pot very quickly goes when you're going to the next property the next property the next property all the while you're buying a cash pot can disappear very quickly whereas your cash flow stays it's consistent exactly okay so what if there's someone listening who's brand spanking new to the idea of property is super curious about uh, getting the toes into an investment in some way or form what's your advice on someone starting uh brand new good question um, and one I get asked a lot on Instagram and um, so I think to start with get listening to podcasts and um, and getting educated there's lots of free information out there you don't need to pay for it immediately like we did we paid a silly amount of money and I would not recommend it while I don't regret it I wouldn't recommend it for someone new because now five years on there's so much free information out there um, that you can find and then if you decide that it is something you want to do if you've got a huge cash pot then great you probably don't need someone to hold your hand through it but if you've not and you're looking to use investors I think at that point it's a good idea to get someone um, who knows what they're talking about whether that's in in the form of a coach um, or or some more formal training what I'd say is a coach is usually a lot cheaper than your formal training methods Um, so I I think that's that's always a good good idea to look at as well. Amazing and is there anything that you would recommend for people to watch out for when they're starting off anything in particular? 
Um, I think it's most people, so even the people on our training course that we went on, which cost over 20 grand, like more than a university degree, ridiculous money, 70% of those people do nothing with it. So I think if you make the decision to do it, you've just got to take consistent action. Um, and uh, most people won't. Most people, even if they're desperate to do property, they won't do it because it's too much hard work. And it is, it's hard work. And those first nine months, I could have given up, but it's that consistent action that gets you to where you want to be, um, despite the rejection and everything else that comes with property investing. So just just keep keeping going. Um, and yeah, I key. couldn't agree more. Uh, you learn way more through taking the action and uh, fucking it up uh, than you will ever do from consistently trying to learn every aspect of it and thinking you're going to need to learn more before you take your first step. Uh, so I completely resonate with that. I love that. Uh, what's been the biggest struggle for you, the biggest obstacle, the biggest thing that you've had to overcome as an investor over the last few years? Um, so talking about raising investor finance on the big HMO project, I we were we were gonna bridge it. So getting a bridging loan, as you know, very expensive. Mm. Um and much while they say rates. sorry? Much higher interest rates. Much higher interest rates, you've got fees, and they often say that it's a very quick, easy thing to to get bridging finance, but we found the opposite and it was taking an awful long time. They were asking every question under the under the sun they wanted to know our inside leg measurement and we were so fed up um and at that point um alan my husband said let's just raise it in investor finance forget the bridge let's and i was thinking no 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 um because i'm i'm the one with the contacts i i put my face out there on instagram i knew it was going to be me doing it not him um so that was my block and I said, absolutely not. There's no way we're going to raise the money for this because it was 172,000 um, to buy the property, which does sound very cheap, granted, but that's still a lot, a lot of money for a 12 bed property. That is, that's still a lot of money um, to raise in private investment um, plus 200,000 on the refurb. So we're talking close to 400,000. When when I'd been raising money for my little buy to let, that was just absolutely not I'm not doing that and it took me a long time to get over that block and um, because it was a bigger amount of money and I think if I'd have just from the beginning said let's just raise it we would have raised it and of course we did raise it and it was brilliant and it was cheaper than a bridge we managed to give friends and family a really good return on their money and um, so it was a win-win for everyone but it would have been so much easier if I'd just gotten over it in the beginning <laughs> so what uh so i'm so glad you mentioned this because um mental blocks is a big thing for a lot of people everyone's got uh personally i think everyone's got amazing ideas and it's the mental blocks that we all have that will stop us from doing it i had the idea to start a podcast years ago then i actually started it and because of my own mental blocks i stopped and started it and didn't do it as consistently so yeah. i completely relate to that what's been the what what strategies did you use or what did you practically do to get past those mental blocks? I think it's sometimes just jumping in with two feet. Um, and that's that's what I did. I, I put it on Instagram. I talked to everyone about it. Um, I forced myself to just 
do it. I also had my husband who wasn't going to take bridging for an answer. So, <laughs> so that helped as well. Um, so I think that that was that was just the key to just get out there and and do it and try not to think too much about oh it's not going to happen it's not going to happen thinking more positively about it rather than the worst thing that could happen and I am I, I I'm still working on that um not thinking about the worst thing that can happen because of course in investing in property is a risk mm. um, and things like what happened recently in the market you could catch you off guard and cause difficult difficulty in your business um but it's not it's thinking about the positive steps you can take to make sure your business is future-proofed um not over leveraging um having too many mortgages all of that side of things um yeah i think that's it and you know with um with what you just mentioned about over leveraging and uh taking all those things into consideration do you have like a set criteria of what a deal must meet as a minimum before you guys decide that you're going to plunge in and take it, take it on? And I also to go back to what you said about the um, taking the action anyway, I completely agree. It's about noticing that you're either fearful, worried or uh, hesitant or anxious or any of those things or all of them about taking the action and doing it anyway. Yeah, what's the what's the book? I'm not a big reader, I have to say, but feel feel the fear and do it anyway. That's so, the one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely, completely agree. So the percentage, we, we look at a percentage, what we would where where we pull the trigger on a deal and go for it, um, or put the offer in. And that used to be 33% return on investment. That was our criteria. So that's that any money we we've got left in the deal. Um, that's parked at refinance. So once we've pulled the money out, we want 33% return on that money. That was what we were working to probably until a couple of years ago. Um, now it's a bit more fluid. It depends what the deal is. As we've got more and more experience, we can see the benefit of, and, and grown our pot, our, our investing pot a bit more. Yeah. We can see the, the benefits of having property down south of course we're leaving a bit more money in the properties down south than we were up north but we're okay with that because we can appreciate that there's going to be that capital appreciation down here where up north you don't really get that capital appreciation so much it's more about the cash flow the monthly profit down here you get that capital appreciation so it, it's a bit more fluid fair enough um what's been the biggest issue that you've had to overcome in the last few years in terms of property um good question i think i think now is probably it it's so uncertain in the market at the minute um state agents don't know what, what's going on they're putting houses on at silly prices still thinking it's a year ago and it's just not people don't know what's going on estate agents banks pulling their products it's it's so uncertain and in six months time I might say oh it wasn't that bad but right now feels like a tough time to be getting started in investing and um, if you've already got a portfolio you've got that cash flow coming in it's it's a bit easier but getting started now would be really tough I appreciate that um so yeah I think I think now is 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 an issue and even me looking for properties now it's that five five I mean, the bigger deals we're looking at, you're talking 7% interest because they're more niche. You've got a more niche lender. 7 8% completely kills a deal. So yeah. 
your the deals that w- would work a year ago, even six months ago, just don't work now. So it's been a bit more creative and looking at those direct vendor strategies where you can um, meet the vendor. They're not on the off market deals. Um, I think I think it's all about being creative, which is which is tough at the moment. We're laying low, seeing what happens. We've done three big deals this year, um, including our home. So that's enough for us um, until 2023. Let's see what what the next few months bring. Yeah, I think it's going to be super interesting. And, you know, you've touched on this as well, where uh, when certain methods of financing, whether it was bridging or looking for a bank to give you a standard mortgage wasn't working, uh, you went into private financing. And I feel like, uh, especially now, because of how high the interest rates are, private financing is going to become a much more popular option uh, just because you can. And people, I, I think it's it's such a weird uh it's just such a weird way that it's all worked out because over COVID, as things slowed down, people saved more, generally. I'm not saying this is a flat thing for everyone, but generally the majority of the population were able to save more. And because they saved more and have become more conscious of where their money was going, now they're more educated around where their money could be better placed. And you know, opportunities like this, maybe even working with people like yourself, uh, gives them an opportunity to earn a better return than what the bank would ever be able to give uh, and not having the money tied up for the next five to 10 years in an ISA to get even half the return. So I think it's going to be an interesting time for a lot of people. Um, and like you said, it's about getting creative in the way that you do it and ultimately making it a win-win situation for everyone involved. Absolutely. And that's key for property investing, finding win-win situations, whether that's with the uh, vendor that you're buying from, uh, with with a tenant that you want to live in your property, whether it's the estate agent, making that um, a beneficial relationship for them as well. Finding win-wins in every situation you can. Absolutely. Definitely. So what's the ultimate vision for you? What is uh, Arch Investments uh, long-term vision over the next five, 10 years, what would you absolutely love? Ideal scenario, all things go your way. What What is that picture? What does it look like? So uh, this might not be what you expect. I am not looking for my business to be cash flowing £100,000 a month and employing 20 people. And that is just not for me. I'm not interested in it at all. I've got one virtual assistant. Francis, who's absolutely fantastic. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I and I can run the rest of it myself. It and I've got a couple of letting agents, but that they're obviously not employed by me. I just yep. pay them a fee. So and that runs really nicely. I don't have to spend hours and hours a day on my property business business if I choose. I don't want to. Um, my sister's just had a baby. I'm spending lots of time with her and my nephew. I'm enjoying my life. And I've got to the stage uh, where I, I previously was working my nine to five and I was doing um, all the property in the evenings and the weekend weekends. And now I don't have to do that. And it's just continuing to appreciate that and getting to a place, um, continuing to increase that cash flow so I can enjoy the money that we're creating um, monthly and, and helping others with it as well so I think that that's it it's not not a big vision for Arch Investments it's just 
enjoying life and that is what property can give you passive income where you can enjoy your life um, and give you time freedom so you you've not got to work and you can do the things you love so firstly congratulations to your sister and you <laughs> on coming on as well uh, so that's awesome um and how i love how you just phrased that because it is about time freedom and being able to enjoy your life and ultimately i do believe that that is what every single person strives for in their own way, uh, which is how can they enjoy their life? How important has it been for you to prioritize and uh, make sure that that stays at the forefront of all the decisions you make? Because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm sure there's been multiple uh, opportunities presented to you or uh, things brought to your attention where there's that lure of like a much higher earning at the back end of it or uh, you know, the promise of like hundreds of thousands uh, being delivered where you've been tempted maybe for a moment and then reset yourself. Um, how often does that happen? Yeah, I mean, um, there's been a few times where that's caused arguments between me and Alan <laughs> because he he likes the idea of doing, doing those bigger deals, but he also appreciates that it's me doing the on-the-ground work to get it over the line and that is not a priority for me to earn those hundreds of thousands I mean of course if a deal is is good and I feel comfortable doing that deal myself I will I will do it but if it's going to involve getting loads of people involved project managers whatever big development projects just not for me um so so yeah and and same as I mean not on that sort of hundreds of thousands thousands of pounds scale but I I do run a coaching business um I teach people how to um invest in property just as a way to give back and it was something that I never intended to do um I had quite a few people on Instagram asking me will you coach me and I always said no 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 um that's not something I do I don't feel experienced enough that's that's just not for me um but more recently since I gave up my job I have I have started taking on those investments new budding property investors um but it's it's really choosing who I want to work with I wouldn't take anyone on it's someone who I would get on with um outside of this as well someone who I feel um I can help that I'm a couple of steps along on the journey from them um and it's it's yeah I would turn away their money if I don't think that they're right for me or I'm right for them um rather than just make a quick buck Amazing. Okay. So, um, and actually, is that similar to how your experience was with the training company that you joined or is it taking a different stance on uh, coaching people in property? Um, you know the answer to that, don't you? Uh, absolutely very, very different. Um, I, it was it was a very hard sell on the property investing training course, um, which I can see looking back on it, the time you get, swept up in the fun of it all um, and the excitement of being able to leave your job, which at the time feels like completely crazy. And wow, how can you do that? Um, but yeah, no, I think coaching is a great way to get personalized support. Your journey, that word again, is very different to someone else's journey. And it, it's important to have someone that can tailor that to you, not just, um, standard training course which teaches everyone the same thing and everyone's on a different path yeah and I love what you said earlier as well which is uh, there is so much 
uh, information available where people can educate themselves. There's YouTube, there's, I mean, your uh, Instagram is a great example as well, where you're putting up consistent stuff about what it is you're doing, what you're working on. Um, it's just free information, which can help someone. Yeah, that's the purpose of this podcast as well. Like if someone hears this and goes, oh my God, I could potentially do that. Um, and based on your story makes a move and creates that action. Well, that's amazing. Because uh, you have no idea what that ripple effect is going to be like 10 years, 20 years down the line. Absolutely. Strangely, strangely, strangely enough, oh, can't talk. And um, <laughs> we have someone doing our driveway at the moment to our property. And the guy, the groundworks guy that came to dig dig up the the um the path, yeah. he he said, Are you Rosie? Rosie from Arch Investments. And he said that we're the reason that him and his brother have got into property, which of course, we, we would never have known about that. He's not messaged me. And I, I happened to used to catch the bus with him um, to school every day. And he yeah. clearly seen me on Instagram and is now now doing property, which was just so lovely to hear um, that you can have that impact on someone and inspire someone in that way. So, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely thrilled about that. That is amazing. Uh, it just shows like the impact that you're having on people that you don't even realise. Exactly. Right? And it's obviously a testament to your content and what you've done and your journey. So, well, congratulations. <laughs> and congratulations to them as well, if they're listening. Um, <laughs> yeah, well done on starting business and taking the action, right? Yeah. Um, okay, last two questions for you. So this has been awesome, by the way. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, what has been your most inspiring book and movie and why? So as I said, I'm not a reader um which surprises some people because a lot of people in property say you have to read and you always have to develop yourself and blah, blah, blah. I I've always loved podcasts and I when I used to drive to work it was a 45 minute journey and I used to listen to audiobooks there and back so I used to get through quite a few audiobooks but since then I don't drive very much so I don't read except um except when I'm on holiday and we recently went away to Crete. I took Alan back to where I used to be a rep. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. Um, but I was read. I've, I've got. I've got quite into uh, interior design books, and I think that that I'm really enjoying those at the moment. I can't say it's my favourite book, but um, Mad About the House um, by Kate Watson Smythe. Really good series of books teaching you about how to, even if you just rent your property. Turn, turn it into something wonderful um we're currently undergoing a big refurbishment at our home that's been really helpful um so yeah those I can I can thoroughly recommend not not self-development not not property investing but something that I'm really enjoying something that sparks the imagination for sure um and any movies at all um well I'm not I'm not a film that I'm afraid um Alan Alan very much is and I'm not Alan's is Lord of the Rings. There you go. It's an amazing movie to uh, get you to recognise it's always worth following the path, no matter how long the movie is. There you go. The movie you can is. turn anything into a... <laughs> there you go. Um, okay, and then final question um, about you, which is if you could go back in time to uh, a point in time to your younger self, what age would you go back to and what piece of advice would you give if you could only give one piece of advice? I think secondary school. 
I know that's quite a broad range. But I think telling myself to give anything a go and say yes to any opportunity that comes up, because it would have been very easy for us to not go to that property investing seminar or not go abroad to Greece and rep or all all those things. And I used to be quite shy. And I think the um, the fundraising position at Pilgrims really did help with that at the hospice. And it's just, just saying yes and putting yourself out there because you don't know what you don't know. And if you don't try things, I mean, I wouldn't have even known that some of the jobs I've done are jobs, merchandising and buying, wouldn't have even known that that was a thing. Um, so so just saying yes to opportunities as they come up um, because you don't know what you could be missing. And that's certainly been the case in property for us. Absolutely love that. I'm going to throw one last curveball uh, question at you, um, just, just for fun. Um, and it's also because I've not actually asked this to anybody else. Uh, so you'll be the first person I'm asking this to you. And I'm going to continue doing it if, uh, if it resonates as well. So, yeah, the podcast is called The Mindful uh, Creator. And I just wanted to get your opinion on what being mindful means to you. So interestingly, my psychology degree, my dissertation in my final year was on mindfulness. Um, so I wrote however many thousands of words on on mindfulness and what it you could do. You basically prepped for this answer years and ago. It, it was, it was, I think it was about um, my, the effect of mindfulness on self-esteem and body dysmorphia very interesting and wow. okay. <laughs> um, on airbrushed images so I had all these and I was testing on people what being mindful the raisin study what's the raisin the re- you know the raisin study I don't know about the raisin you're gonna have to tell me now oh you need you need to look look into the raisin study and um, a way to be mindful is to take a raisin put it in your mouth and just think about the raisin <laughs> which which seems, seems crazy but this is what I'm doing to all these um participants in my study what does mindfulness mean to me sorry complete tangent um <laughs> it I think well it's, it's been it's been present in in the moment and enjoy every time you're with someone you love giving them your undivided attention not being on your phone and just being present with them um and that's in anything you do in in life I think um I said have you heard of the pom is it Pomodoro timer have you heard of that uh I think is that the meditation app no it's not oh okay it's a it's a timer and the idea is you've got 50 minute stints 25 minute stints 50 minute stints whatever you want to do to get a task done ah okay and you set your timer and you turn off your phone, put it on airplane mode, don't let anything else distract you, just be doing that task, doing that meditation, doing whatever whatever it is, just thinking about that one thing at that any any one time. Um, and I think that that's probably what, what it means to me. What does mindfulness mean to you? Good Seeing question. as you never asked it to anyone. <laughs> um... So <laughs> actually, uh, the, the word that you said in there, which uh, is the one that kind of really relates to my version of mindfulness is presence. So, you know, if uh, you see it all over Instagram, TikTok, everything, if you're anxious about something, you're living in the future, 
And if you're uh, living in a state of worry or fear, you're thinking about something in the past that has happened that could happen again. But if if you are present, then you're just still. So what you'll recognize that in this moment, in this time, you know, even like in this conversation, just been fully present with you, there is no emotion about anything else. There's no worry, there's no fear, there's no anxiety. It's just a conversation. And when you're in this state, what you're actually allowing yourself to do is be open to any opportunity that might present itself. This is why, you know, when we had a conversation uh, before we did this podcast, I said to you, there's nothing for you to prepare. If I show you the list of questions that I have for you, I think there's five questions on there. Because I know that if I'm being mindful and if I'm present, as you're talking, the most important questions and the most important areas to explore will present themselves. Yeah. So that's my uh, definition of mindfulness. Absolutely. And, oh. and as you say, I, I put my phone on airplane mode before we, before we started this this call and haven't thought about anything else other than talking to you and it wouldn't it be lovely if we could do that with everyone in our lives that phones wouldn't get in the way and everything else wouldn't get in the way um yeah yeah i think that's a a perfect note to uh finish this on so rosie thank you so much i really appreciate the time um so much for having me i've really enjoyed it amazing and for anyone uh listening if you want to get in touch with rosie ask her about what she's doing Uh, potentially even get involved with um, some coaching if Rosie uh, is also on the same page as you Um, then you know you can find her at Arch Investments I will tag that obviously in the Instagram post as well Uh, and on TikTok if you're on TikTok Mm, I'm not Uh, yet I should there's so many reels it's basically the same thing isn't it Uh, exactly so by the end of this podcast and by the time you've listened to it and it's been released Rosie will be on TikTok amazing you can help keep keep me accountable yeah (laughs) Um, Rosie thank you so much for joining I really appreciate it thanks so much thank you so much for tuning in to the mindful creator podcast if you enjoyed today's episode and you got some value from it I'd really really appreciate a review and don't forget to share this podcast with friends family colleagues anyone that you think could benefit thanks again have an amazing day and stay visionary